You are listening to Boku No Stop, an anime podcast that knows you are some kind of sussy baka. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... Chris. And this week, Matt is out because he has to prepare for 9-11 celebrations. It turns out that's a big thing in his industry. But we'll be talking about Monster episodes 31 through 33. 9-11 is a very... preparing... doing 9-11 very big in the Republican space. And we do need to mention there is a content warning for this episode. There will be discussion of suicide, incredible child endangerment, and solipsism at the highest levels. Please be aware. But that won't be until episode 33, and we're going to kick off with episode 31, Under Broad Daylight. Man, 33 is not very good. 33 is interesting as setup, but that's all it is. Meantime... We're at a questionable pub. Dieter, Tenma, and Reichwein are sharing a meal. It seems that the owner, Otto, is a friend of Reichwein's, which they don't specify, but it definitely seems to be a transactional nature. And he is allowing the two fugitives to stay in the attic. Tenma points out he did see Gillen's ad in the personals, but did not reach out because he, quote, didn't want to involve anyone in this. And Reichwein is kind of uh, mad about this. It's like, come on, man. We are here. We're involved. You're going to need backup. This is not the sort of thing you do alone to clear your name. We'll help you out. But everyone is alive. Tenma is not alone. Johan is in town. Everything is coming together. When they see him the next day at Schuwald's business, Tenma confirms this is their guy. And it's actually the first time he's seen an adult Johan in daylight. Jillen and Reichwein talk. Hey, uh, I think he might not be trying to clear his name. Yeah, I agree. Surprise, surprise, motherfucker. My man rolled up with a gun. Uh, Dieter arrives at Reichwein's place and says outright for the slow folks. Uh, yeah, Tadma left to kill Johan. And uh, Gillen's at work interviewing another killer. And his heart's just not in it today as the guy is dragged off. Just to make his day worse, uh, Lungay rolls in. The entire back half of the episode is a tense conversation between the two men where not a lot worth saying on the podcast is said, but it's really good and you should watch it. It's really hard for us to go into this in depth unless we want to just read off the whole transcript, but this is about six, seven minutes of the episode is these two in an interrogation cell back and forthing over which of them is the more objective, better servant of justice, and what that means as each probes for information. The uh, big takeaway is a great own on Lungay. Uh, Dylan says that Lungay's tick with the hands is similar to Gillen's own with the cassette recorder, but with one key difference. The recorder is objective, capturing without bias. And the typing is subjective and instantly tainted by Lungay's uh, own preconceptions. Either way, Lungay leaves the meeting with the photo of Johan, confirmation that Tenma is in Munich, and an order to the police to prepare for anything, and also a bunch of doubts like ready, like he he leaves the conversation willing to believe that he could be wrong about it, which is an interesting move for him. Um, so. This is explicitly what happens in the movie version of The Prisoner to some degree, mm -hmm. where Harrison Ford is screaming, I didn't kill my wife. Tommy Lee Jones is screaming, I don't care. 
And that's because his job is not to go, you're innocent, you're guilty. It's to bring him in so they can check the evidence and figure shit out. Whether or not Tenma is innocent, which he might be willing to believe, they still need to arrest the guy who's the center of the manhunt and take a look at everything. This is this is like a a bigger societal question, and I don't think that's necessarily true, right? Because that's a that is, if we are to scale back law enforcement resources, there needs to be not a squandering of resources, which is if you know someone is innocent, what bringing them in is, because you already have Tenma's statement as a witness. So if you know he's not the guy, you have everything of value he can give you. But. There's also the fact that Lunge is still a monomaniacal man who does not change on a dime. So Right, which is the real reason I thought it was worth bringing up that he came away with, maybe I am wrong about this. The photo of Johan is definitely going to go somewhere in terms of there is a Johan. Yeah. After this scene, we go to the city. Tenma is there. He's used his mob connections to order a sniper rifle, which we'll have in about a week. He's begun training. Soon, an electronics conference is going to be held in the city with Shuvald in attendance as a major figure. I believe this is his first main appearance in like a long time. Yeah, it's um, the first time Shuvald has appeared in public in years. He's been a hermit. On television, Johan is visible. He's just in the periphery. And that's the end of the episode. And that takes us into episode 32. Well, sanctuary. I want to I want to linger on that final bit because Tenma has isolated himself in a hotel room in the city. He's given Dieter over to Dr. Weichwein. He's watching this news conference and he's just doing push-ups and going full Travis Bickle after we've seen him doing a little bit of calibration of the rifle that he's just gotten. He's just pump, pump, pump. And then who's on TV? It's Johan. Fade to black. Very is this man right in the head energy. The answer is definitely no. No. It's wonderful. But that does take us into episode 32, Sanctuary, where, hey, remember Lottie? Lottie? The story just did. She has tried to get the attention of Carl, who she's very openly crushing on now, but he has gone all in on being his father's son and assistant. Unfortunately, this leaves her alone in a hallway with two tickets to a dance she doesn't have a partner for. She's sulking in the library, getting yelled at by the librarian who wants to close, but she sees a beautiful woman who looks familiar. It's our friend Nina Fortner. Look, let's be real. The next... You're a dickhead if you're at the library any like within 30 minutes of it closing. Get out of there. What are you doing? Well, you're a dickhead if you're in the library within 30 minutes of closing and you're not looking for a book. These two are just sitting at tables and sitting at computers. So, I, I don't know. I wouldn't even go there to look for a book. I would have like said earlier in the day, can you pull this for me? Because I want to be in and out because those motherfuckers got closing shit to get ahead of. See, I am the mistress of run in, get shit in five minutes, and leave, no matter what the store is, as long as I have been there once. I can't do, I like, can't do that. I like, walking the, I like walking around the store. Just being in the store, fun for oh. me. Good hobby. So do I. But not at closing time. If I'm going at closing time, 
it's because I know I need melatonin and a pint of ice cream, and I'm going to get in, and I'm going to self-check out, and no one has to go anywhere near me. Oh, my kid finally picked good ice cream. I'm very excited about this Tillamook Rocky Road. Oh, nice. I am a fussy bitch, so it's usually Ben and Jerry's, but I have been trying a local flavor lately that does a wonderful amaretto cherry. I don't know if you can get it, but uh, our co-op has it's a cool house. Super good. I don't recognize that name, but I'll keep an eye out locally. We hit all the weird grocery stores. If you see it, get the get the cool house. Recommend the churro. Very mm-hmm. good. Churro is a flavor that is unrepresented in ice cream. Oh, it's so good. I know, right? And I live on the Mexican border, so you better believe I know what good churro is. It's like cinnamon, but savory, which is a great ice cream flavor. It kind of sounds like it would be the cinnamon version of some of those cone pieces things in terms of if you play around with the texture. Yeah, but you don't have, but but it doesn't have chunks. It just tastes of it. So like it's a really good textural experience. I don't like big chunks of cone in my ice cream. Not a fan of that. That's why I don't get the Ben and Jerry's stuff. That's fair. And I usually avoid those because they're all late night host themed and Jimmy Fallon should die in a fire. Also, Ben and Jerry's not that good ice cream the ice cream part is not very good and you're just really there because they put a bunch of candy in it uh it depends i like a few of their extraneous flavors like a cherry garcia always solid by me also i don't even really like ice cream not not a fan of ice cream but i have to have it because my kid likes it i go bars if i can help it because it's a good portion and then i don't have to fuck around with a bowl good chip like a like a chips man i like a chip yeah, uh, a chip which I'll occasionally just do a little white chocolate bar around some vanilla. Love it. Just the right blend of flavors for me, and it cools me off. Best dessert, a little bit of pirate's booty. The white cheddar. That's where it's at for me. I can't do popcorn. Messes with my teeth. Well, this is like a, uh, it's like a cheese puff. A little firmer than a cheese puff, but a cheese puff adjacent thing. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Hey, back to Monster, since we know we have a short week and we're just kind of vamping. Uh, We could vamp about my new new podcast mattress. I liked the last podcast mattress so good we got another one. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Never done the podcast mattress. Mattress, pretty good. Nice. Good, Good middle ground price quality mattress we've had ours for five years and it's great we have to get a bigger one because my wife is an asshole and just wants to fully starfish on it while they're still being space for how i sleep because the way i sleep is on my side at the very edge of the bed half hanging off it so that extra 16 inches will let her fully starfish while i also lay on the bed oh yeah i i do the horrible curl up into a ball that looks like it's being in a car crusher move so yeah no, I get it. You're like full. You're you're like sea of Dirac in it. Yeah, that's that's a good description. I've never done the podcast mattress. I continue to use the podcast razor. You got to get the podcast. You got to get the the podcast mattress pillow. Been having a okay. lot of ne- been having a lot of neck pain. It is an incredible pillow, and in that it is perfect for the way I side sleep, which is putting my arm under the pillow, which is why I get a lot of neck pain. But. Also great for laying on your back or face down because it's like fluffy on the outside, but then there's the memory, there's like a memory foam core, so it's still supportive. You and I apparently have very similar sleeping habits, and I don't know if this terrifies me or not. Oh, it's great. It's great. 
anyway, check out the $70 pillow. Huge recommend. No, it's a lot for Not a to pillow. Not you usually keep a pillow, a pillow for a few off, right? years, because so 70 the, the over that space. Gonna hurt a lot. Anyhow, speaking of hot girl summer, the next day both ladies are at the library again, and that's when Lottie wanders over and sees, Oh shit, you're investigating the death of Margot Langer too? I did that a month ago. Let's swap notes, and thus, a true crime podcast was born. Oh no. Oh wait, okay, never mind. One of my domains just expired, but it's the one I don't care about. (laughs) I was very concerned for a second. I was like, did I fuck up a podcast domain? It turns out that Chris owned Serial.club, and the true crime podcast joke remind him of it. Uh, what it is is that enough people figured out that validating your address ends in .com is bad. So now I don't need badwebforms.com because almost every web form now... Ex- nice. I had a separate... I had an entire email dedicated to shaming people who couldn't accept .zone, and it was only so I could have an email that forwarded to mine that wasn't owned by Google. All right. All right. You're selling me, especially as I start going into the dark web for more series that we might cover in future. Did you know it's really hard to find the Xenosaga anime even illegally? Mm, It's that bad. Good. Good. Fuck it. (laughs) I can't get these fucking 12 episodes to show up. I might actually have to buy a bootleg DVD. Like that bootleg Gunbuster DVD? It was great. Liked it. Some guy just burnt these episodes to those DVDs, and it was great, and it had good subtitles. Sometimes a bootleg DVD is the best. I used to browse swap meets for old, dead TV shows or canceled things that were never getting a release. I have this two-disc set of a horrible Fox sitcom called Whoops, which is basically what if Fallout were Gilligan's Island? Oh, boy. They, yeah, it's a premise that's like, why did you make this? Why did this get so many episodes? Oh, it was the 80s. And it, this guy made whole menus for it. He added every trailer, special feature, whatever he could scrape from anywhere. And it's every episode that we know of that survived the show, other than a couple which were unaired. It's like, wow, this is better than actual box sets I've paid for at a store. Speaking of shouting out the lights, the two women decide that they're going to go to that dance club. And now Lottie is incredibly desperate and trying to get Nina's sloppy seconds. I wish I was joking. She's trying to hook Nina up with people and then goes, and yeah, hey, you got a less attractive friend? I'll go with them. Um, I think the thing we missed that leads up to this plot point is that um, she keeps trying to get Carl to continue to be interested in the... She keeps trying to get him interested in the ferret investigation and keeps putting her off which is why the thing that happens next happens. The actual thing that happens next is all of them being in the club, and it's just a parade of failure for Lottie. Briefly, she's stuck with the supernatural club guy who's like, the whole place is going to burn! It's the year of the prophecy! Um, The club is playing a poppier version of the opening theme. It's really weird. Very weird. And then the whole scene goes south when a drunk guy comes over and will not take no for an answer from Lottie. This is a guy from earlier. It's not a random drunk guy. It's the first guy. When Lottie thought she would score above a C-tier guy. He's basically random that we haven't seen him anywhere else is more my point. It's not a recurring character. 
Yeah, no, he's from he's from within this episode. It's just he came at her earlier and now he's coming again much more drunk because this is basically a setup where um Carl is trying to keep her busy so she stops bothering him because he's just trying to vibe with his dad. Yeah. The guy is wrecked enough that he lets slip. He just has to give her one dance, and that's what Carl paid him for. And this absolutely sends Lottie into a spiral. She's just breaking here, and this guy will not back off. So Nina takes it into her own hands to judo flip the man, put him in an arm bar on the floor, and then stand up and go, we're done. Episode title, Vibing with Your Dad Simulator, whatever year this takes place in the show. Uh, 1997. There you go. So... The two of them are walking back along those dark streets that we saw the detective running through over and over and over after ghosts. But instead of there being any kind of action, uh, Lottie has a breakdown and Nina gives a short speech of hope. It's like, no, you can. Good things are happening. Bad things will not happen forever, but we have to do our part to stop them. And so it's not a message of just lean back and trust in God's love. It's if you see some shit, do some shit. Yeah. Finally, when the two break off the next day, Lottie realizes why she thought Nina seemed so familiar. She has Johan's face. Elsewhere in Munich, Temma is learning to shoot a sniper rifle. And his instructor tells him, look, this is a great gun. Extremely precise. It holds four shots, but you're really only going to get one. So you want to take aim and fire. Be as close as you can. Find a clear spot. And don't tell me anything about what you're going to do with this. Um, This is definitely one of those times where this being a chapter of the manga makes a lot more sense than just here's half an episode as we get this other bottle episode, half of a bottle episode about um, Tenma tracking Johan and Schuvald's party to his weekly forest trips. And a hermit who was once a German soldier in the war trying to stop bloodshed and atone for a killing he did there. Um, Anyway, a bird lands on Tenma, so he decides not to shoot Johan in the forehead. The end. I didn't have much more to say about that one, did you? No, other than um, they go pretty hard on the art style in the flashback. Like, really good black and white with the uh, pop-out color being red. Yeah. Yeah. it's like well told and like pretty heartfelt, but ultimately doesn't matter to the plot. Yeah, as as one chapter amidst everything, it it flows a lot better than Nina got on a bus and all of a sudden we're going to watch a German soldier and two men with a sniper rifle. Yeah, I will say the animation really does go hard on this one because Chris mentioned it's changing the style up. It's all black and white with the splashes of red. You don't get that in the manga where it is all black and white, no color fill. Very the most distinct. impressive thing about it is um, not only just like the color palette, but the style is a lot fuzzier. Not like vignetted, but you can think about a lack of detail like that around the edges. And the um, the frame rate is actually adjusted. Like it still comes out at 24 frames per second, but they're repeating the same frame a lot more during the um the flashback in the story it's really visually striking extremely good yeah we can't stress enough bones did not fuck around adapting this despite Wait, the is fact this bones 
pretty sure this was Bones. That's so weird that they became the My Hero Academia people. Sorry, Madhouse. My bad. Okay. Other big tier. Yeah, my brain went to Bones for some reason. Probably because we're talking about that already. Ima- imagine if Trigger was. Imagine if Trigger had the money of like a Bones. It would be wild. There's there's definitely some companies where it's like, God, why can't you just get that one lucky break? And you know what? I used to think that, but then Monolith Soft got one, and now they make Xenoblade Chronicles, and now I wish they hadn't. I mean, they're not even making Xenoblade Chronicles now. They've become the back, the back end studio to get a lot of Nintendo's bigger stuff out. It's a big bummer. Yeah, it sucks. I really liked seeing those guys go crazy. I liked it when they were a weird B tier. Yeah, no, uh, that's that's kind of why I'm a little souring on the Trail series these days. Although it's getting back to weird territory, but. Cold Steel was like, hey, we got some attention, and we're going to try and be, like, a Persona rival, and, oh, this is not as charming as when you were doing a lot more things with sprite work instead of 3D modeling. That takes us into episode 33, A Child's View. Um, We open with newspaper stories about a lot of children dying in very similar ways. The press is unsure if it's child suicides or some kind of weird serial killer. Uh, they have all been dying by falling off of roofs. And um, one of these child survives. And Reichwein is brought in to talk to him about why the hell he jumped off a building. This conversation goes nowhere fast. Meanwhile, Dieter is fucking Dieter. And he just bumble fucks his way into the room without being supervised. And gets answers out of the kid by treating him as an equal. Which is all children really want. Pro tip. Mm-hmm. The injures kid asks Dieter to bring him his shoes. Because he doesn't take Dieter's shoes. And crutches himself outside, saying, he was right. He said, if you live walk out and walk outside, the world will be different. He's wrong. The world is the same, but I'm different. I'm chosen. And then uh, Dieter follows him through the city, where he's become entirely, insufferably solipsistic at the age of eight. My man ready for some black turtlenecks. God, this child is infuriating to watch at one point he just I hate this episode just because of how annoying this kid is yeah no it's this plot is a real oh there's the shoe dropping on johan because we've been seeing so much oh yeah he does a lot of volunteer work with children and this is what his degree is on this is where that comes home to roost but introducing that revelation through the kid that you wish got hit by a car sucks. And in this episode, it doesn't even it doesn't even like tie back into the main plot really at all until the end. And then it's lol Johan bad, which is the thing we already knew. And right now, it's very dissatisfying and delivered in the worst possible way. So big down on it. Uh, at one point, this kid just turns and walks off the sidewalk through the street where every car is honking and swerving or breaking to avoid him. And he just stands in the middle of the road and calling back, calls back to a horrified dealer. Come on, what's the holdup? Then there's the much, much worse scene where he knocks over a homeless man. And just yeah, he trips him with his crutches and then like is just slamming his crutches into this guy's temple. And he's just talking about this guy like he's an ant under a magnifying glass. It's real sociopath hours. Oh, you mean the way society talks about the homeless? 
Society doesn't usually talk about them that way to their face. Well, fair enough. That, that is fair. That's that's the part that makes it, If it were, oh, this kid has a weird inner monologue. Okay, yeah, we're figuring out this kid's... But he's crushing this guy's head with a crutch while he's on the ground whimpering and screaming. And going, look at this. This feels so great. Everything is toys for me. It's terrible. So... This child, who uh, we have not decided to name the terrible shit boy, but his name is Martin. And he says that it's cool that he did all these horrible things. It's just the most fun game. Two kids stand on the edge of the building and close their eyes, walking towards one another. Whoever lives wins. Martin took this to mean that he was chosen as a winner, and he's glad because it means he can do it again. So he lures Dieter onto a roof to show him, and rather than go along with this, Dieter's like, yeah, but if I die, I don't get to eat my favorite food again, or see Dr. Reichwein, or hang out with Tenma. Death sucks, man. And Martin's like, you're a little pussy. And that's when his terrible coat gets caught in the force of the wind, and he loses his balance and starts to fling over the edge before Dieter lunges forward and saves him. So Martin has a piss pants breakdown on the top of this roof and goes, Oh, I'm not even nearly as cool as Johan, and he's playing an even better game. A Japanese guy is going to shoot me simulator 1997. Oh, we already have that <laughs> and joke. Dieter, and Dieter's like, what? <laughs> Across town, Johan is talking to another chosen boy who ha also has heard stories of this cool new game. So I guess he's just going around telling everyone in his weird inner circle but he also mentions that he'll bring this other very grounded survivor of the game a picture book. Um, speaking of books, Schuwald is donating his massive book collection to the Munich University campus because he never went to college, but he just collected every tome he could find and he can't really read them anymore, so he's going to make this his legacy. Security for the public donation will be in the jurisdiction of Karl and Johan, which is very reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When they're showing the library off to the duo, Johan sees a nearby balcony and gets some real I'm this and I'm aroused Hannibal vibes. Uh, but instead, he meets a young assistant who helps him look for a picture book for the sinister kid. She knocks over a stack and he picks up an unnamed book by an Emile Sherbe that has, draws his eye. This goes horrendously awry when he has a panic attack, screams and faints in the empty building causing her to run for help while he lies on the floor, a.k.a. he has become the monster. Outside, the posters go up for the dedication ceremony. It's another scorcher in Munich. And inside, Tenma is holding his rifle's scope, just the scope, looking for just the right perch to work from. He walks around to a couple spots, and eventually he's on the balcony Johan was eyeing, going, this is where I'll kill him. Way worse spot than the spot in the forest you picked out. There's going to be so many people here. What is the matter with you? Yeah. And after this, we have the debut of the final ending theme for the series, Make It Home. It is lovely, and I'll splice a little in underneath this as we close out. But how'd you... I'm getting the feeling you were also a little eh on this stretch of episodes. 
Yeah, the the highlight is the conversation between Jillan and Lunge, yes. and we, the rest of this is kind of whatever. It's very setting up for what we're doing next week, because I wanted to get as much as I could, but there was no way I could do seven episodes this right. week, and so I had to do the easy split. The thing, the thing that... Um, this is like the first real narrative bummer I've had with Monster, which is that this plan for shooting Johan in the library is like the first real like unforced error that occurs just so the plot can happen. Which uh, is kind of a bummer because we've avoided those so far. So I will say, I think you suspect where this is going. It's not going to go where you think. But we'll find out in two weeks when we return with episodes 34 through 37 and everything goes to hell. Peace out, fuckers. Goodbye.